First reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. To you, O Lord. The reading is taken from 1 John, verse 29 to 42, and this can be found on page 1063 of the church Bibles. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cyphas which when translated is Peter. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd come by your Holy Spirit 
that you would help me to speak and that you would give us all ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Life is full of uncertainties, isn't it? There's there's an old joke that goes like this. What makes God laugh? And the answer is people who make plans. Now, I'm sure God doesn't really laugh at us like that, but it makes the point, doesn't it? And um, I, so often we think that we're in control of life from time to time. We, control, we try to control the environment around us. And for temporary periods, we think we've got life worked out until something happens. And then the death of a loved one, the birth of a child, the loss of a job, the need to move house, whatever it is, something comes along and completely throws everything up in the air and we realise how little we are really in control of our environment. And I learned a little bit about, like, about that in, on my holiday. Uh, Kirsty and I were lucky enough to be on the Red Sea a week ago um, at Sharm el-Sheikh and I did my first ever scuba dive and there I, I found myself kneeling on the, the seabed under the water with the instructor teaching me how to recover my breathing line if I lost it, how to clear my mask of water if it filled up with water. And I realised how totally dependent I was on somebody who knew much more than me about that environment. I realised how little we're in control. And of course, those people who sadly suffered through the floods and have had their homes flooded, their villages flooded, their roads flooded, know how little we have control over our environment. The good news is that the Bible passages this morning give us some clues about how we can think about God in an uncertain world. We're all on a journey of faith, aren't we? And we're all in different places. Some people here this morning may be just at the beginning of that journey, may even be wondering whether or not to believe in God. Others perhaps have known God all their lives, talk about their faith confidently and about answered prayer, but perhaps feel there's more to be discovered about God and and want to know how to go deeper. Others maybe are a bit sort of sitting on the fence. Or another analogy, wondering whether to put their trust in God and jump into deep water, but actually it feels a bit safer staying on the beach. The good news is that our Bible readings today show us whatever stage of faith we're at, that we can find confidence in our faith in an uncertain world. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians, um, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, our first reading, and take a look at this. There are three points I'm going to draw out, and they are Trinitarian. So they concern the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we begin with Paul writing this letter to the church in Corinth, and he says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Did Paul wake up one day and decide, hmm, I think I'll be an apostle? No, of course he didn't. 
What does he say? He says, called to be an apostle by the will of God. That's the first thing. He's called. But is that just for special people? Is that just for apostles and people like Paul? Well, no, because if we read on in verse 2, it says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people, together with those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, what Paul says here is that every believer is a believer because they've been called by God, by the will of God. And that's a wonderful, reassuring thing to know. It's like parents, perhaps, who decide to adopt a child. In their love, they have decided to choose to take a child into their family. And God does that with each of us. It's his move first. He calls us. He chooses us. And that's a wonderful thing to know in an uncertain world. I remember the day 13 years ago when my friend Chris invited an unbelieving and not church-going pads to church one day in a little church in South Africa. And he had no idea what was going to happen. I had no idea that anything would happen at all. But that morning, God first called me, or I first heard God call me. And everything led on from there. God makes the first move. That's a really reassuring thing to know in an uncertain world. But the second thing is that although he calls us, we come to God as broken people. We come to God as people in need of forgiveness and in need of forgiving others. We come to God as people who have been hurt and who have hurt others. We come to God with fear, with shame, with guilt, with pride, and a whole number of things which can get in the way of our relationship with God. So God calls us, but we come to him as broken people. And the disciples of Jesus were no different. Why then? Did they choose to follow him? Let's turn to the gospel passage that we heard read from John and have a look and see if we can get some clues. And in fact, the clue is in the name. It begins verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God, the clue is in the name. And in the next four verses, John goes on to describe how John the Baptist's main purpose was to reveal Jesus to the world. But then in verse 35, again, the next day John, that's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And it goes on that when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So these first two disciples followed Jesus when they heard him described as the Lamb of God. Why did they do that? Well, the answer is that the moment they heard the Lamb of God, it would have reminded them of the sacrificial system of the Jewish religion. Because the Lamb 
was the animal that was used as the sin offering. If you had broken God's laws and you wanted to be made right with God, then you brought a lamb to the temple and offered it as a sin offering. And when you did that, you knew that you were made right with God. You knew that God's grace was releasing you from the guilt of what you'd done wrong. And so when these disciples heard Jesus referred to as the Lamb of God, when they heard Jesus referred to as the Lamb of God, then they were understood that here was this man who could take away their sin and their shame and their guilt. And that was an amazing thing. It would be like hearing about a new doctor in Tilehurst who could cure anything. And of course, if we had any complaint at all, we'd all be rushing over there, wouldn't we? We'd, we'd go and follow him. And the disciples heard that Jesus was the Lamb of God who could take away their sin. And so they followed him. So the first point is that God calls us by name. The second point is that by the Lamb of God we know that we are forgiven and set free. And the third piece of good news is that God doesn't just forgive us our sins in order that when we die and when we go to heaven we'll be with God forever, although that is true, that we will have eternal life. God saves us, not just for after we die, but in order that we can be transformed in this life to live fruitful Christian lives. And the last verse of this passage, um, verse 42, gives us the beginning of a hint of that transformation that was going to come for those first disciples. And so in verse 42, um, what's happened is that Andrew, one of those first two disciples, has spent a day with Jesus, is convinced he is from God, he's the Messiah. So he's gone to find his brother Simon, and he's brought him to Jesus. Just a bit like Chris brought me to that church that day 13 years ago. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looks at Simon and he says to him, you are Simon. Son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Cephas and Peter both mean the rock. And what Jesus is saying is that one day Simon will be Peter, the rock, who along with the other apostles will be the foundation on which the church of Jesus Christ is built. Jesus brings not just salvation but transformation in this life in order that we can live fruitful Christian lives. And we see this being worked out in the church in Corinth. If we turn back to the passage, to Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, and we look on to verse 4, Paul writes to them, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you've been enriched in every way. So Paul is saying that by the power of the Holy Spirit living in the Christians, that their lives have been enriched. With all kinds of speech, with all knowledge, God thus 
confirming our testimony about Christ among you. In other words, the transformation in the Christians in Corinth was so obvious and dramatic from the outside that it was quite clear that God was working in their lives. They were a testimony to the work of God. Therefore, you do not lack any, verse 7, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ. When God calls us, he equips us, and he calls his church and equips his church with gifts and spiritual gifts in order to do the work that God has called us to do. And Paul tells them they don't lack any spiritual gifts. And I think it's wonderful, all the different people that God has called to St. Matthew's with so many different gifts. We've seen some of them being used in the music group today, but they're used in the children's work. They're used in finance. They're used in administration. They're used in a hundred different ways in order to do God's work in the church. And they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, they're given over to the work of God. And finally in verse 8, he says... He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this Holy Spirit, which had come on Jesus at his baptism, was then imparted to the disciples and then after Pentecost to all believers for all time. This Holy Spirit is what will keep us strong until the time we go to be with God in the new heaven and the new earth. He will keep you firm to the end. And that's good news in an uncertain world. So God calls us by name and makes us his own. Do you know, in the confirmation service that on the 16th of March, Bishop Andrew, which is at 6.30 in the, in the, uh, on Sunday the 16th of March, Bishop Andrew will be here. And for each confirmation candidate, he will lay his hands on their head and, and he will say, I'm sure she won't mind me using her name, and he will say, Tanya, God calls you by name and makes you his own. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that fantastic? God calls you by name and makes you his own. That's the first thing. God calls us. The second thing is that God in his love, through Jesus, the Lamb of God, saves us from our sin, our shame, our guilt, from all of the rubbish in our lives and sets us free to live fruitful lives. And finally, by the power of the Holy Spirit, which he gives to every believer, he empowers us to stay firm to the end, to use our gifts for his glory. And those three foundations of Christian faith are really good news in an uncertain world. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that we can be confident in an uncertain world because you have chosen us, called us by name, saved us by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and that you empower our lives by the presence of your Holy Spirit.
We pray that more and more we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of these wonderful truths in order that we can live fruitful lives for your glory. Amen. And preachers shouldn't have afterthoughts, but as an afterthought, it would be wonderful if this term, as it were, all of us could think of one way in which we might grow a little bit more in our knowledge of and love of God and of his grace. And I just want to give you two or three suggestions. If you haven't yet been baptised or confirmed, then consider the Sunday the 16th of March to be a wonderful opportunity to take that next step of faith, to go into deeper water with God, to make a bigger commitment to him. And if you'd like to know more about that, please come and talk to me. If you missed the first week of the Grace Course, perhaps join the second week, which is going to be not this coming week, but the week after, the 29th, where we're learning more and more about God's grace. You might want to join the Women's Connect group, where they're starting a new Bible study this week, on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. If you're not a member of a home group yet, you might want to consider joining a home group where we share and, uh, the Bible together and learn together more about God's grace. But also in our own personal lives, there is, nothing, um, there is nothing more important than building our own prayer life. If you like, it goes full circle back to when I was kneeling on the floor of the seabed with an instructor who knew what to do and I, and I didn't. Because there's no better place to be than on our knees before the one who knows everything. And that's a sure foundation for in an uncertain world. Amen.